are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast. You made it. It's the end of the week. It, I know I said at the beginning of this era that we were going to age in dog years. But man, if you would have told me on Monday that by Friday we'd be talking about how the Republicans might actually win the immigration debate and Democrats have, have, have outed themselves as open borders only. I mean, we were, didn't we just do a show like three days ago? Should I contact a good friend of mine in the White House <laughs> yes, and warn him about Amnesty? You know what I'm saying? Doesn't that seem like it was six months ago, Aaron? Uh, yes. It seems like we did that show like six months ago. It was, it was, might have even been Tuesday or Wednesday. It wasn't that long ago, right? Yeah. This is nuts. It's just, it's nuts. But as one of my very first radio bosses and mentors once told me, it beats going down a mine shaft with a flashlight for a living. It does True. It does beat that. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast. You're on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me. We'll get to your feedback Friday in a moment. We love to get your feedback. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And the last name is spelled CRTV. But before we get to, or last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E for CRTV. Before we get to today's podcast, speaking of CRTV, we just wrapped up production for the Dace Group. It's our weekly roundtable. We had Shannon back. Uh, Spoiler alert, we didn't try to kill each other this week. I got a lot of emails about that. It was kind of like 50-50 of, of who agreed with me more and who agreed more with Shannon. And about half the ones that agreed with Shannon basically were pleading with us not to take her off the air for vehemently disagreeing with me. And I've kind of, on one hand, A, it's good that you are, that she's engendered that sort of loyalty and support with her audience. But B, do you not listen to us and watch? Do we strike you as the kind of show of shrinking violets? If you dare have your own opinion, you must go away. I have my faults, but have I ever given off the vibe that you can't think for yourself when you're on this platform? You can think whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. You don't have to agree with me on anything. I have one rule. Don't lie to my audience. That doesn't mean you can't believe things that I think are false. That's different. Lie, meaning actively practicing deception, okay? Don't horse pucky my audience. Don't do that. Beyond that, I've never stopped anybody. Well, oh, there's one other thing. Can't take the Lord's name in vain. I just, I can't do that, okay? So don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't horse pucky my audience. Beyond that, I've never, have I ever told you guys what you are allowed to say or what you're allowed to think? Nope. nope. No. So Shannon's never going to get taken off because of, at least not if we have a say about it. You know, we don't have the ultimate say. We don't, you know, we're not, our name's not CRTV, although I tried calling myself that a minute ago. I forgot my last name. So I don't know. They've never come close to doing anything like that yet. There may come a point in the future. Maybe. I don't know. I doubt it. I kind of think you don't hire Steve Dace if you think you want to tell him what to do because he doesn't take that kind of direction very well anyway. You know, I kind of chuckle when I see these stories about Salem 
bullying other talent like Ben or uh, uh, Alicia Krauss when, when she was there or Joe Walsh now. I've seen some of these stories about Salem bullying some of their hosts for thinking for themselves. Aaron, we never had any issues with them at all. No. No. And I and and I'm not saying those stories aren't true because I heard some of those stories third hand when I worked for Salem. I just never had those issues why? Cuz I think you kind of just know I'm not going to respond to that very well. If you don't I, I, to me it's really simple. If you don't want my opinion, then don't hire me. Like if you don't want me saying certain things, just fire me. And I'm okay with it. I'm not mad. It's your business. If what I'm doing isn't good for your bottom line, then, you know, that's a me problem. But I don't understand hiring people to control what they say. I would presume you would want to hire them because of what they say, right? Isn't that how this is supposed to work? One would think. Yeah. So um, if I have anything to say about it, we're not running people because they dare to disagree with the great and powerful Oz. She can say whatever she wants as long as she can back it up, you know? So there were a few people that supported me, although I'm not really sure what my position was when we had that fight last week, as much as I just think everything you're mad about has already happened <laughs> you know uh, but um we didn't fight this week did we did we fight this week not really no no you looked at me weird when i talked about lebron james but other than yeah, that yeah because i just i thought it was dumb <laughs> <laughs> todd i owe you one for taking the place i of literally was predictions. I, I was about the reason i had a long pause when you gave your prediction i was going to look at aaron and say do you have any preseason football you can lay <laughs> on us because that's that's about the level of, of lame. I, I, I think uh, this, that your prediction has a chance of occurring. Okay. I took care of that last week, the preseason football yes. predictions. I might have more in the future. Just, sports radio, it's just, it's obsessed because there's nothing else to talk about. So they keep talking about it. But so I want to, I just have to throw something into the mix on the I chance get that. that it might be true. And, I, I get that. I, yeah, I get that. I, I just, it, your, your opinion kind of struck me as the kind of thing that a fanboy just throws out there because they want it to be true with like no evidence but I'm not a fan like the Bucks are like neither okay. here nor there to me uh, they're like I just don't do pro basketball in general but I I had a eureka moment I was gonna I was gonna pitch it to Aaron I was going to condemn you and then I, I all these things happened in the one minute I was silent when you gave your prediction because my final verdict was I don't know anything anymore, and that yeah, can happen, yeah. I guess. Any, any, anything could take place now. Anything could be true, right? Maybe. I think we live in a universe where unless someone is predicting something that is literally, you know, fantastical from Xanadu, just about anything could happen now, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's like, right. I thought I saw it all. Open Secrets, which does some good work. But they are a left-of-center think tank, okay? They're a left-of-center government watchdog group. So they're sort of the liberal, the more Democrat-leaning version of what Judicial Watch does, maybe, is a good way of putting it, okay? But they do some good work. Just have to understand their partisan bent. They had a tweet out today about a, a Democratic candidate for Senate. They went through his disclosure form. Did you see this? I did. I did not. And... Okay, I, you know what? I've got to do this justice because I want to make sure I quote from it exactly right. So I'm going to go to my Twitter account right now because I, I, I retweeted this earlier today. And I want to make sure, because truth is stranger than fiction. My embellishment can, will not be as good as what this actually is. Uh, for, yeah, go ahead. Here it is. FEC filing. U.S. Senate candidate for Maryland spent at least $25,000 on a political campaign ad in the Washington Post titled, Yes, I Am a Socialist, that features the line, Did you ever watch a video of a three-way between two men, one white and one black, and a big dog? Did you ever read the whole actual article? I did not, no. Did you ever stare at a picture of a naked child, full frontal, and did it stick in your mind? 
Did it bring about emotions, one that might have surprised you? Next paragraph, I'm ignoring What's the What's next? You ever seen a grown man naked? That's what I was going to say. You ever spent a night in a Turkish prison? I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, you ever watch a video of a freeway? Yeah, good grief. I thought just because so every time you think we are not going to sink any lower, we're not going that we we are going there, we're going there. So you know what, LeBron James, Milwaukee Bucks, drive it like you stole it next year, right? Eastern Conference Finals, anything at this point. I, there's not much you're going to predict to me. I used to have like a really high threshold too, like of dismissing predictions. Now I'm kind of like. All right. Oh, yeah. Might happen, I guess. I mean, why not? You know? Okay. Sure. We got this. Let's go with it. I couldn't be more comfortable saying, yeah, I was wrong on that one. I I just pretty much put my finger in the wind and uh, saying, yeah, well, uh, maybe, maybe not. Chances are the more more evidence you have for why your prediction will happen, the less likely it is to come to fruition. Oh, I, I... you have figured out how, that's it. My wheels turn. I'm sitting here. If there was a thought bubble above my head, like I, what is the I'm least likely way too logically here? about this? What I have to tap into the crazy. How do I do that? <laughs> All right. So if you want to watch today's CRTV show, promo code DACE is how you can access CRTV for a discounted subscription. How discounted? How's a quarter a day sound? Not just to watch us, but every show on CRTV. Promo code DACE, D E A C E, at CRTV.com. All right, let's get to it. You guys ready to do some uh, Feedback Friday? Yes. All right, here we go. Don't don't filter. There we are. Okay. Couldn't get rid of this filter on my email account. All right, here it is. This one is from Mike. The assessment you had of the two films, Hereditary and A Quiet Place, was spot on. Although I would actually give the nod to Hereditary. Because I think it weaves such a subtle in, in, in such subtle detail throughout the film, the way the way a psychologically menacing force can be almost subliminal or subconscious on a level, <clears throat> meaning it's there and we think it's there, but we don't want to recognize it at the exact same time. The unsettling theme of inescapable generational iniquity—that's some good writing right there—smolders just under the surface as we find out more about the dark history of this family. That's why I actually think Hereditary shares the exact same worldview as A Quiet Place, but with the worst kinds of family baggage and secular reasoning taking center stage instead of Christian values with appropriately corresponding results. If you've seen the two films, I think that's right on the money. Hereditary struck a chord. I mean, let me stop right there for a second. At the key moment, the families are the most, right before the families are to be the most besieged, there's a dinner scene in both movies. And the families are both at dinner, and they both this is they're both at dinner after they've suffered a great loss. A child has died. And in a quiet place, the family responds by coming closer together. They hold hands, they pray, say grace. In hereditary, they turn on each other. So, Mike, I think you're on to something here. Hereditary struck a chord with me because you pointed out without giving away the spoiler. The only individuals who had any idea what the antidote was to the horrific evil were the people doing the evil themselves. Now that the movie's out, can I mention what it is, Aaron? Have you seen it? Sure. No, I have not. Go ahead. The only reference, remember I said when we reviewed this movie two weeks ago, the only people that directly, you haven't seen it either time? The only people that directly reference the evil are the evil, are the evildoers themselves. All right. So I'm giving you a spoiler alert. 
three, two, one. All right. That being said, at the end of the film, when the evil reveals itself, they are devil worshipers. They are attempting to bring Pan, who's essentially like my character, Nefarious, one of the lords of hell. They're attempting to bring him forth in possession of a human body because their demonic cult teaches that if they're able to accomplish this, he will give them great worldly riches in exchange. All right? And when they bring him forth at the end of the movie, the leader of the coven or of the cult says, in the, or, the, or the leaders say in their worshipful chant to pay on the demon, to the, the demon from hell, we reject the Trinity and all of its holiness. And that is the only reference to the antidote to the evil in the entire film. Powerful one, though. Yes, it is. It, it took my breath away when they did it, because I realized what they just did here. This family is defenseless. They, have, they are ignorant. They have no knowledge of this, or they've rejected knowledge of this. In fact, the reason they become vulnerable to the demon is because they're so broken by the death of a child they cannot overcome it. There's no grace. There's no redemption. There's no mercy. They, they can't get beyond it, and they're turning on each other. And, the, and that leaves the mom ripe, easy pickings for recruitment in this demonic cult. And it starts with something subtle. Don't you want to talk to your child you lost? We can help you reach her. And that opens the gateway for paying right there. That just blew my mind. It blows your mind when you see it. Yeah. It blew my mind when they say it. And that's not, you don't just throw that in as a throwaway line. Like if it's a, no. if, if you're doing a throwaway line to, for a formulatic, formulaic script, you're going with the power of Christ compels you or something that's been used a million times in movies like this, going back to The Exorcist, right? That's not, that's not a trite line that's typical in a movie. Okay. No, they know what they're doing here. They know what they're doing. Or on some level they do. They may not, maybe they don't even understand really what they're doing. I, I don't know. I, 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 I know we've had this talk since Wonder Woman came out at this time last year. I, I just have a hard time believing. All of these brilliant people are putting these overt themes of righteousness and morality in their, in their films and just have no idea what they're talking about. They're just like randomly choosing these themes. Because if you're doing this randomly, you don't do it well. You don't know what you're talking about, right? You know, I could give you, I could go on cable TV. I know enough about Islam. I could do like a cable TV panel of six minutes where there's three of us and we all talk for 90 seconds or two minutes tops. And I could go on there, I know enough about Islam that I could give a credible defense of Islam and, and convince you in that 90 seconds to two minutes that I'm a Muslim, right? I could do it. You sit me down for, a, for two hours, sit me down one-on-one -on -one for 20 minutes, and I had to receive pushback, I, I couldn't defend something I don't believe on that level. It would fall apart. I'd, have, I'd be reduced to rubble. It would be obvious. I don't know what I'm talking about. I have a, so I have a hard time in a long-form storytelling that you can model themes you don't believe in. I'm a writer, a professional one. I'm not an elite one, but I'm a pretty good one. I've been paid pretty handsomely to do this. I'm 1% of authors that have ever sold a book for a movie option. 
So while I'm not Stephen King or James Patterson, who's probably hating life right now with all these interviews he's doing with Bill Clinton, <laughs> okay? While I'm not one of these guys, I'm not, you know, some schmuck either. You know? I, I'm, I, I'm a pro. People pay me to do this. I get advances to write books. So I at least know a little bit of what I'm talking about. Maybe I'm not an expert, but, you know, I'm, I'm not a novice either. It is exceedingly difficult to write good, long-form content of any variety. Even hard, why, the number, whenever when someone says, I want to write a book, what's always the first advice you get? Figure out the you, end. Write what you know. No. That's always the first advice you get. Write what you know. Start with what you know. Why? Because it's really hard to come up with compelling, long-form content of any variety at any time. It's exceedingly difficult to do it when you don't believe in what it is you are, the points you are driving home. That's really hard to do. I can, I will submit maybe Patty Jenkins could do it at Wonder Woman. Six different people couldn't do it like that. Seven different people could, Brad Bird couldn't do it in two incredible movies. Couldn't do it twice. Can't do that, guys. I'm just telling you, I do this on a professional level. You cannot do this as well as those guys and gals do it if they don't believe in the stuff they're saying. On some level, Patty Jenkins has orthodox moral and religious views somewhere. Somewhere. Maybe something from her childhood she's tapping into, or or she's closeted in her beliefs because of the culture of Hollywood. But somewhere there's a framework of righteousness there that allows her and permits her to tap into that, to tell that story so well in Wonder Woman last year. You can't do this randomly. And that scene at the end of Hereditary when they say we reject the Trinity and all of its holiness would sound dumb and contrived, like where did that come from? Unless the people making that film understood the gravity of the evil that was being presented. That makes sense? Total. That's why I'm fascinated by this. I know we've kind of done a variation of this podcast like 30 times, so I'm sorry. I hate repeating myself. You know, I'm always the guy that's like, let's reinvent our show. Let's come up with new things. But I keep coming back to this theme because there's something happening here. And what it is ain't exactly clear. <laughs> but it's I don't I don't know what's happening. But you can't just have all of these mainstream entertainment outlets producing these themes of orthodoxy on accident. Randomly tapping into a zeitgeist they don't believe in. You might be able to pull that off in one or two movies. Maybe. I don't even think you could do that. But I'll grant you it could happen by coincidence once or twice. You can't do it five, six, seven, eight, nine times. You can't do that. You cannot do that. You cannot have Thanos as mouth as Malthus and Margaret Sanger. And just have it be a coincidence for three and a half hours. It doesn't work like that. You can't do that. I'm just telling you, I do this for a living. You can't do it. A lot of people would tell you I've got a pretty elite level of talent, which is why they put up with all the other difficult things I bring to the table with it. I could not sit down and write a 180-page book that was a credible defense of Islam. You know, why couldn't I do that? Because I don't, I don't believe it. I could write you like a chapter. But if I had to do, we had to go into depth, I had to apply it in different facets of, I could not do it. You cannot develop themes credibly in long form content you don't understand and or believe. You cannot do it, guys. We're not robots, we're human beings. That's why Darren Aronofsky takes Noah's story and he hatches it up. 
That's why they take Christian Bale and turn him into Moses as a paranoid schizophrenic and God as a bratty eight-year-old kid in the Exodus movie. That's what you do when you don't understand or believe in the themes that you're articulating. You can't resist the temptation to do that. Maybe you can at first, but for two and a half hours, eventually the worldview is going to come out. Know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You can't hide yourself that long. It's like I used to say about college football. You can't hide your quarterback in college football. You can't hide your worldview in storytelling. You can't do it, guys. You can't. You can hide it for a while, maybe in one short story or a chapter. But over long-form content, you cannot hide your worldview. That's why I don't believe this stuff is coincidental. So that is an excellent email, Mike. You guys have any thoughts on that before we move on? No, just out of um, curiosity, I Googled uh, what I could about Ari Ari Aster, uh, the director of Hereditary uh, and and writer, I believe, as well. Um, This is his first feature film. Mm -hmm. I think that's been distributed. Um, And he's talking about in this interview that I'm reading through, he's talking about how he doesn't have faith, um, but his response to other movies which have a similar ending to Hereditary have bothered him because he does not have faith. If that makes sense. I mean, he's bothered. It's similar to Stephen King lamenting the lack of morality in today's horror films. He's bothered that we are presenting evil with no... No, he's... Bo- I th- what I've gotten is that he's bothered at a spiritual level yeah. because... Huh. Because because he, he doesn't have a god, so why does it? He doesn't have a god, so why do these endings yeah. where there is no hope yeah. bother him so much? Yeah, yeah. In, in a way, there's there's hope at the end of the story I'm about to bring up. But you still described why people were so frustrated. In my estimation, Steve, I don't know if you if we talked about this. It was such a long time ago, but I think this is why so many viewers uh, of Lost were frustrated by the end. It ended up in church. They hated it. They're like, what the hell is this? No, that's where, right where the show should end up. It mm-hmm. was about being lost and found. So, mm-hmm. yeah. They there were really, the, the people that guessed in season one that they were in purgatory ended up being correct all along. That's exactly where they were. And the writers were ticked that people figured it out and denied it for five more years. But in the end, it turns out that's what the island is. It's purgatory. That's, that's where they were. And we had to watch them work out their salvation in fear and trembling there on purgatory. That's what they were, that's what they were up against. I need to watch that again. Luke says, just got to say, the product other programming is offering these last several months has been excellent, both on the podcast and on our and, and, and on CRTV. You guys are definitely squaring up the baseball, some of the recorded video productions. Marxist Madness was brilliant. The While We Are Away and Fake News or Not segments are almost always great. Several of them have even approached Stellar. On a more serious issue, the way that you guys took on the Alfie Evans case with full-throated defense of life while calling out the culture of death gave an example of how the righteous prophetic voice can sound in our day. That's very kind, Luke. I think I speak for all of us by saying thank yes. you very much. And did you see the story yesterday at LifeSite News? They did the math. Remember, we told our audience all along, it, it ain't free to execute Alfie Evans. Mm-hmm. They're not saving any money. These, these lawyers and everything else... The United Kingdom spent over $200,000 on legal fees alone. On legal fees alone. Mm -hmm. That's how important it was for them to execute that child. Over $200,000. How many families in the UK do you think make the equivalent of $200,000 or pounds in a year? Three, four, five percent maybe? Maybe? That's how important it was for them to make the point, we own your ass. That's what this was about. 
That's what it was about all along. It wasn't about costs. Say it wasn't about. It wasn't even about utilitarian ethics. Because eventually, Spock, with the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, eventually Spock's going to do the math, too. Mm-hmm. And Spock's going to be like, you know, it's going to cost us more to defend this kid in court. Just send him home with his parents. Let them deal with it. That's what Spock's going to say. The true embodiment of utilitarian ethics. Spock's going to be like, why are we taking all these media hits? Why are we spending all this money on legal challenges? Mm-hmm. Just let the kid go home. Let's be wash our hands with it and move on to a case we can actually solve, right? Yeah. That's what Spock would have been. That's what real utilitarian yeah. ethics would say that. Uh, this isn't even real utilitarian ethics. This is control. It's what it always is with progressives. They love utilitarian ethics until they don't. <laughs> okay, they love utilitarian ethics until the math of uh, do what causes the least amount of pain and anguish doesn't work in their favor, and then they don't like it anymore. Because the number one thing progressives like more than anything else is control control we own you we control you that's why moral relativism which has everything to do with utilitarianism in my view always ends up in anarchy because human nature does not like to be controlled to the point that uh, moral relativism gives way to because if there is no moral law if there is no moral fact eventually a Caesar, or not a Caesar, a Pharaoh who knows not Joseph comes to power, mm-hmm. and then the law and morality is relative yep. to what he believes. Four legs good, two legs bad, yes. paints old major on the barn door. And then eventually, Napoleon says, four legs are good, but you should know. Two legs are even better. That's what Aaron's describing. Mm-hmm. Alex M. says, I'm a new follower of Christ. I've been baptized only this year, but the more I study scripture, the more I realize my church is truly not following the gospel, but a watered-down version. Our pastor seems to pick and choose only certain teachings and ignore others in a buffet-style gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And yes, there's more than one resist bumper sticker in the parking lot. I'm torn as to what to do about this with my family. Part of me wants to get involved in the leadership more and help steer people back to the way. Others want to leave to find a church that follows all of Scripture, not just the popular portions. I would value any insights you have on this. Uh, I have some personal experience with this. What's happened with the modern... There's two possibilities, Alex, and having not attended your church, I don't know which one it is, okay? One possibility is this is um, a United Church of Christ kind of wayward denomination that's heretical at the core. I, I don't believe that's the case, though, if you were led to salvation and were baptized. It's more likely what I'm familiar with, and that is there's a lot of churches that were planted in the 90s as part of the church growth movement modeled after Willow Creek and Saddleback, that, to their credit, reached a lot of people, Alex, like you and I, where we were spiritually initially. They got us in the door. They were creative, clever enough. They used their gifts to get us in the door when previously, like, heard that, rejected it, don't want to hear it again. You're not telling me anything new. Well, they came up with a new way to tell me something I, I needed to hear that I didn't want to. Okay? So they got me in the door. But then we reached that point where St. Peter says, you know, by now you should have moved on from spiritual milk. Or you should have moved on to solid food, but you're you're still craving spiritual milk. And so what tends to happen with guys like us, Alex, is these kinds of churches are very successful in getting people like you and I in the door 
to come through the front door when others we would we'd just ignore. What they're not really successful at, though, is retaining guys like us after a while. Because they get us through the door. Holy Spirit takes over from there. We buy in. And then we're like, cool. So what are the next steps? And there's never any next steps. They just do this over and over again. Just go find new Alex M's and new Steve D's and bring them in. More people. But there's, there's, there's no deeper right there's not a level 2 you're 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 just you learn your times tables and you're just going to keep learning your times tables over and over and over again there's no algebra there's no trig there's no geometry let alone any calculus happening here none of there's no progression is what i'm trying to say it just stays there now the 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 good ones who have some care of orthodoxy will have sunday night programmings and things of that nature you know, be very careful about universally condemning the Willow Creek model. It gave us one of the great Christian apologists of the last 50 years, and Lee Strobel came out of that. So we reached him. Notice, though, Lee eventually left, and now he teaches at a seminary in Texas. <laughs> okay? But uh, this model is good at reaching people, retaining those, though, who want to grow deeper in their faith. It's, it, it's, it, it's not good with, because there's rarely that option. So, not knowing your church, I'd, I would say this as a general principle. I'd lower your expectations you'd have any successful odds of changing anything. I would not even attempt to try unless the word of God audibly spoke to me or, it was, or, or the Holy Spirit was keeping me up at night and it was all I could think about. Right, like I felt as if if I didn't do this, man, I was just I was gonna get you, you know you know when you're about to get one of those Holy Spirit spankings when you don't follow through on what God wants you to do and like your conscience just will not shut up. Short of that, don't even try. Can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Hold a special place in that shirt in your heart for that church that God used to reach you, and it's time to probably move on. Would be what my own experience with this model of churches would say anybody want to add anything to that yeah i think agree what, disagree i think what you're describing is um a lack of um capability to disciple yes uh and that i think is what every church uh, almost every church i should sh- should say struggles with um even churches which um you know in my own experience uh even churches who are doctrinally sound who preaches uh, that the the message are deep and rich, uh, but who are more evangelistic in focus in uh, bringing people in, who are successful at bringing people in. There is a lack of discipleship afterwards, uh, I would say, once once those people are in. And I would also add, I would agree that everything you you said is, is true, but also I would ask myself, what am I doing to disciple others mm. as well? Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that, that's most church growth nowadays is quote unquote growth. It's just people switching churches to find one that that works best for that. I'm not saying that that's what happened. That's what's happening right here. Uh, but I think part of that is people uh, who are capable and are ready to take the next step, uh, are not, um, not stepping up and, uh, making disciples themselves or discipling somebody else who was in their shoes 
two years, three years ago in just coming into the faith. So I would encourage you to, to, to look at that as well. Right. And Alex, you know, along with Aaron said that, that's a great addition to what I said, Aaron. Are you in a small group where you get the chance to disciple right. and be discipled? Do, does, does the church you're at, despite its faults, does it have ancillary programs and uh, and groups that uh, allow people to go deeper that want to do so on their own time? Could you serve and or lead any of those sorts of groups and those sorts of things? And that puts you in a position to make sure at least some depth and orthodoxy is being added to the more shallow level teaching that happens on a Sunday. So, you know, there's options in between. Um, you know, when we, that's what I did at the church that we went to that had this model is, is I went into layman, uh, layman uh, lead, uh, teaching and I would have stayed there. The church just basically blew up. Okay. It blew up after a while. So that staying there wasn't an option. It doesn't even exist anymore now. It's going to be a movie theater this fall. So when I talked about, I'd look at another church. If you, I mean, I should clarify. I mean that in the context of you believing you're going to corporately change what's happening there. Okay. If there's, if you have opportunities to serve orthodoxy and help people grow in depth and discipling with ancillary parts of the church, I'd absolutely encourage you to, to take part in those things. But if you're, if you've got your heart set on, well, they're going to make me an elder and some things are going to be different around here. I'd really yeah. lower your expectations where that's concerned. I just want to say that this is interesting to listen to because this is one of the rare times I can't remember ever doing this, but uh, this is where, as a Catholic, I I, I can't really offer any advice. This kind of decision making. Would you like switch a? Let me ask. I don't know. Would you like switch a parish? Well, if people, the priest came in and just said, "Hey guys, I'm really. Uh, have you heard of this guy named Pelagius? I thought he had a point well, 1,200 years ago. Would you look at the wife and daughters and say, "I wonder what parish B is up is doing next Sunday?" Okay. Well, but the, our our options for dealing with that are so different from any Protestant church. I mean, you, hey, Bishop, who is this clown? You know, it's it's just Good an point. entirely yeah. different uh, dynamic. And this is why, you know, when as a Catholic, uh, again, spend a lot of weekends out of town, uh, um, uh, soccer trips, and things like that. But so we we find the local, the local Catholic church and we go, and you there's a ton of familiarity. As as a Protestant, I, I was like, how you guys handle that you can't well, what just, you just what you just described is why i've told you all these years come back to me when you guys are serious about being catholic yeah. that's that's my point i mean what what that's my argument I, why have this why have all this stuff if you cannot just whip pe- people but and to, drop the hammer right. on them but whenever the, you want that's to the, the degree that, that we have it yeah is is why we do, it takes a lot longer and, and a lot of the cat if a catholic goes to just, just switches to another church it's it's often stylistic it's rarely yeah. all over yeah, my I'm not, dead body i'm not opposed to a church yeah. hierarchy yeah. i'm not opposed yeah. to excommunication. No, no, no. I'm, just, I'm opposed to having them and not yeah. using them i want to make that point very yeah. clear but i like i like excommunications i think they're great yeah. so it just takes <laughs> necessary it, great it takes most most catholics who are not just abusing the term it, it takes them a lot longer to have to reach this place because there's just more by definition, there's more continuity. I mean, this is and we're, we're talking about the the Protestant Reformation. From I mean, this is the essence of it. You broke you broke off once, and then it broke off again. And mm-hmm. how many denominations? There's about twenty six thousand times. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> um, Eric writes. I think we all know what the left would look like if the current generation of leadership got out of the game and let their younger counterparts take over. We know what the new left looks like. Yes, we do. I was wondering, what would the right look like if the younger generation took over its leadership? Would it look like the same GOP we have now? 
It troubles me that I can visualize the younger generations of the left taking their ideology to new, transformational heights. I don't see that, though, on the right. Have we lost the war by losing our future, i.e., we're a passionate group of millennials demanding conservative action like the left has? Um, I think ideologically, that's where there's huge hope for us to have a movement again. That's where I look here at our own Ali Stuckey, for example, here at Sarah TV, if I can toot her own a little bit. Meaning she's someone who gets the cultural spiritual origins of the she's not too many of the young people in the conservative movement i think are technocratic well if we just had the right uh a jobs plan no 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 ali that's the secret sauce of ben's success and his willingness to call out truth and error no matter who's responsible for it i think there's a lot of hope ideologically morally and spiritually in the younger generations of the right however We can, Ali, Ali can produce the best content out there. And Ben can get 10 million people to watch his videos. And Steven Crowder can have seven, can have a, three blocks of people lined up to change his mind on an issue in, in, in a, one of the, a major American urban center. What we don't have, and there's, the infrastructure is not on the horizon. It's not being groomed. It's not in the waiting wings. It is not there. It's not there. What we don't have are people who are willing to take the folks that a Crowder and a Shapiro and an Ali Stuckey can reach and give them a platform within the political system to change public policy with what they've been reached to convert to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It, it, it does not exist. It doesn't exist. Those candidates, they're not there. They're not there. They're not there. Um, and the system as it's structured, the consultants, the donors, etc., once they emerge, they do everything they can right away to stop them from being those people once they once they show themselves. Right now, we're talking about a guy named Tom Steyer running for president for the Democrats in 2020. Now, unless you're a political insider, you have no idea who that is. I'll tell you who he is. Tom Steyer is one of the richest men in the United States of America. He's a billionaire. And he has funded the most far-left causes with his money for years. He was one of the people that came into our state to promote the rainbow jihad. He is a radical environmentalist type. True believer. True believer in cultural Marxism. And he puts his money where his mouth is. We don't have his ver- that version of him on the right. We, that person doesn't. I'll just tell you, I raise money. Capital. I've gone into meetings. I've had to ask people for six-figure checks. I mean, I'm going to be in the process, hopefully soon, of asking people for maybe even bigger checks for a movie. Okay? There are people like the Wilkes in Texas who are real true believers and will back a lot of efforts like what people like us do. If you can prove to them, you can do it. 
But but the idea, though, that that person then will go into public life themselves and let them them and directly in their money themselves be a platform for these beliefs, that person does not exist on the right, guys. Does not exist. And the reason why every Christian conservative of any note heads down to Texas with their hands out to meet with the Wilkes, because they're about all we got, man. The reason why you read about the Koch brothers all the time, that's about all you got, man. These people don't exist. They are legion on the left. And the people that give the biggest checks on the left are the, are the furthest left. Soros, Steyer. I can name other rainbow jihadists. With a couple of exceptions, the Cokes, the Cokes are fine with the rainbow jihad. They'd be okay with you guys going to jail for not baking a cake bigot. Just as long as we cut taxes and you know, we put less regulation on business, they don't care about that stuff. I know one of the most prominent social conservative groups in this country won't take another dime from the Cokes because they put so many restrictions on them in the last election on what they could and couldn't say on their own agenda. They just said it's not worth it. Whatever money they give us, it's, it's not worth it. They're hamstringing us to reach our own base with it. So we don't have those sorts of people on the right. And they have, there's legions of them on the left. And so because of that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very, I want to be very careful when I say this because I don't want to discourage you, but I, I want you to work smart. That's the book I just finished. Okay. Next week, we're going to have a release date and you'll see the cover for the first time. And the point of this book is, I don't want you to end up like me. I don't want you to spend 10 years of your life, you can't get back away from your family, fighting a culture war on the front lines and realize I didn't really gain any ground anywhere. I missed this with my kids. I miss, my, my wife made this compromise and sacrifice. For what? What did we do, man? The culture war is the, is the, the, the culture war, the, the American culture war is the equivalent of Vietnam. We're just, we're giving it, we're taking rice patties and giving them back and taking them back next week and giving them back and taking them back. We're watching our buddies get blown up, lose jobs, get their advertisers boycotted. To do what, really? To, for what, are we winning? What are we doing? Do we even believe in the mission we're fighting here? Do we know who the enemy is? And just like in Vietnam, one guy was Viet Cong one day and he was South Vietnamese the next day. Same thing here. Show up one day, this guy's pro-life. Next day, Tommy Lahren's on The View. Uh, abortion's great. Kill some kids. I don't care. Go chop. I mean, that's where we're at. Don't know. I don't want you to end up like that. I want you to win. I'm, I'm Talia Shire at the end of, you know, I'm Talia Shire in Rocky II. I'm Adrian. For the whole movie, she's like burnt out. I'm tired of boxing. I hate what it does to you, Rock. It, I, I'm, I don't want to see my husband die out in the arena. At the end of the movie, what does she do? Win. I want you to win. The music kicks up. Doom, doom, doom. Right? Okay. That's what the point of my book is. Don't end up like me. Be better. So what I'm about to say is necessary for you to hear so you'll be better. Right now, it wouldn't matter if Ben Shapiro, Steven Crowder, Ali Stuckey at all converted 10 million people to conservatism. Not, almost nothing would change in terms of public policy in the next 20 years. Nothing would change. Nothing substantive would change. Because there's no platform for them to say no to the courts. There's no platform for, the, for them to bring the free market back into healthcare. There's no political means by which they can carry forth what they believe. We'd just be blogging. Imagine Christianity without a church, without a hub, 
without a platform. Are souls still being converted? Well, yeah. God doesn't send his spirit out to return void, right? His word does not return void. Are, were souls being converted by just disciples out there going two by two? Well, yeah. Did you see radical cultural transformation in the Roman Empire before that? How did Telemachus get into the arena that day to stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, stop killing each other in the, in the Colosseum? How did he do that? Well, he was a monk. What's a monk? It's a church official. He had a platform. He had a means by which to get his beliefs into the public arena. Right now, politically, we don't have that. We have, we have no representation, really. There's no means. So, so convert all the people you want. Give all the speeches you want. Sell all the books you want. We're going to change a lot of hearts and minds. But it's the colonial army standing up to the Redcoats without any guns. Conviction is there, right? What happens when you stand up to the Redcoats and you don't have any guns? What do you think is going to happen out in the field there, Todd? Gets a little rough. Yeah, you're 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 gonna lose. That's what's gonna happen. No matter how much conviction you have, eventually the guns are probably gonna win. Do you think they do? Yeah, eventually the guns will win. Yeah, when, no, you can have all the conviction you want, you outnumber them, but eventually, guys with the guns are gonna win. Guns are the platform. Same thing here is happening politically. We can have all the conviction we want, all the conversions we want. We don't have a hub by which people who represent us take those into the arena and say we will do A. We will do B, we will change C. For goodness sakes, guys, me and a bunch of pro-life activists and leaders around the country had to put out a video this week asking National Right to Life to actually support legislation that said stop killing kids when they have a heartbeat because they won't, all right? We have, to, we have to lobby the largest pro-life organization in America to be pro-life. And I won't give you names. There's some really good pro-lifers we asked to do that video who would not. Why? Because they wouldn't get speeches and other things booked from National Right to Life if they did. That's why. That's brutal. It's true, too. Brutal. It is true. Absolutely true. So it's a pretty cool list of people you see on that video. There should have been some other people on there, and you know who you are. So forgive me for feeling as if while I'm, while I'm excited for them on a personal level that all these young people are lined up to hear Ben Shapiro speak or Stephen Crowder speak at the University of Blank. Because I know it's going to change their lives on an individual level. And I don't want to undermine that or undervalue that on any level. As a Christian, boy, then there's nothing more powerful than personal transformation. Amen? Amen. We're into that. That's the business we're in. But the chances of that creating cultural transformation right now are slim and none. Because you don't have people that will take what those people believe into the arena. Well, Steve, why don't those people then just go and run for office? They can. I've, I've, you know how many those kinds of people I've helped recruit over the years? Supported over the years? I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to because I think it's important. Even though it's not going to make me any friends. I have a column out today thanking a Republican congresswoman for telling the truth in the face of political correctness and attacks. I also know the woman has voted to fund Planned Parenthood in the past. 
you how many of those stories I can tell? Lots. Legions. Legions. Where these people will get elected on the stuff we believe and then getting them to actually follow through with it once they're there. And let me tell you why they don't follow through. Some of it is they're corrupt. But there's actually not that many of those people that are that fake. Didn't we just have a conversation that over the long haul, it's really hard for you to defend things you don't believe in, right? We just talked mm-hmm. about that in another context. Yes. You want to know why Mitch McConnell doesn't go to CPAC every year and give 35-minute speeches on conservatism? Because he couldn't do it if he tried, man. Couldn't freaking do it if he tried. After seven minutes of him reading off a teleprompter, you're like, this dude's a total scam. That's why he shows up and waves a gun every four years and then doesn't come back. He couldn't hold the audience. They can't talk about what he doesn't believe in. Some of these people might be sociopaths that are just that good of liars, but it's actually most of them really do believe this stuff. If you're standing up, if you're standing up to the liberals, to the leftists, and not backing down on a culture war point, you really believe stuff. You're not, you're not, because you're not getting any points for, for, for honesty, right? Okay. So what happens? Why would she then vote for Planned Parenthood? Because the system gets around her and say, "Gotta cut this deal. Can't shut the government down." Oh, it's a crappy deal, but it's the best one we're going to get. This one donor really needs you to follow through on this one grant for him. It'll pull the check. If he doesn't get the grant and the government shuts down, he won't get it. Just fight the Planned Parenthood battle later. Of course, later happens seven, eight, nine, 10, 25, 35 years in a flipping row. Right? See my point? Oh, you this know is just... what This is what happens. This is what happens. The leadership is corrupt, and then it corrupts our people. The yeast of the Pharisees happens every single time. This is why when they get around us, they speak with conviction, because they're one of us. That's why they do it. That's why when we sit around us, we're like, this. these people are one of us. Well, they are. That's why. You know why they sound honest? You know why they sound convicted? Because they're us. But the proverb says, bad company corrupts good character. Jesus warns what leadership does to the rest of an institution, the rest of a movement, the rest of the organization. And so since they're in no positions of leadership anywhere, and we don't even have any people in line to be any positions of leadership. I was asked to sign on this letter to urge Jim Jordan to run for speaker. I just ignored it. Why? Because I went through this dance with Jim Jordan five years ago, and we tried to get rid of Boehner before. My buddy Daniel Horowitz helped lead that battle, in fact. And we needed a certifiable candidate capable of getting enough votes for the discharge petition. Jordan wouldn't step up to the plate, and he left us at the frickin' altar. So one time, shame on you. Two times, shame on me. Jim Jordan wants to run for speaker. I'm not begging his happy ass. Throw your ass, throw your hat in the ring like a man. Say, I want that job. I'm running for it. Then we'll talk. But until then, what are you, some southern debutante ball? I got to woo you? Who you think you are, Scarlett O'Hara? Hell to the no. I'm not begging you to apply for a job when I'm the one hiring. You want the job or not, we're hiring. We're the employer. Step up and throw in your resume. Otherwise, shut the hell up. Enough. This isn't freaking Hamlet. Stop it with the to be or not to be act and stick it where the sun doesn't shine. That's what ends up happening. They don't have any leaders. And the years it takes to get in positions of leadership, if you can even pull it off. And then what happens is eventually Rick Santorum gets a leadership position. And he goes from shouting matches in the green room with John McCain to, 
you know, I kind of really think we've got to do this Arlen Specter thing to win the seat. Am I tell me I'm wrong? You're not. And that's what happens. And until that changes, it will not matter how many people Steven Crowder wins an argument with on a political level. It'll matter for them on a soul level. So by God, keep doing what you're doing, because that's the most important thing of all anyway, is the individual transformation. But on a systemic cultural platform, until they have a platform to do what they, what they believe, there, were, there weren't more people that believed in abolition because Abraham Lincoln got elected. Abraham got, Lincoln got elected because more people believed in abolition. But guess what would have happened if he had not gotten elected? How much would those people's abolitionist beliefs would have mattered? How much? Well, they would have mattered on a conviction level. Politically, would it have mattered? Nope. What, what changed? Why did we get the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments? What, what changed? There weren't a whole bunch more people. Abraham Lincoln elected. I'm, 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 I'm an abolitionist now. That's not, that's not what happened. Why'd you get the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments? Because you got Abraham Lincoln elected with a platform for your beliefs. For your beliefs. Minus that, and not just elected. Like he wasn't a state legislator or a U.S. senator. He was president of the United States. The ultimate platform. So until you get people elected in positions of leadership with what you believe, it really politically doesn't matter what you believe. Final thoughts, Todd and Aaron. Well, this resembles a bit of what I talk about in the past multiple times when people go to the movies and say, oh, Braveheart, man, that speech, oh, it makes me run into a burning building. And then they get like a tiny little test in their own lives that causes them to make a stand and risk something. Like, oh, not so much, you know. These are the people who love the lyrics of uh, Amazing Grace and just utterly profound. But, you know, they also have this part of them that says, well, John Newton, did he, couldn't he write that song and still be a slave trader? I mean, you got to make a living, man. Uh, we, we, we just have so Gosh, it's so true. We just have so much triangulation like that. Painfully true. Yes. And until we don't, we get what we get. Aaron. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you bringing up the soul level transformation, which is really uh, what's important. Uh, really, the, the whole conversation, part of the conversation that we had with um, Shannon today, and the point that I tried to make, and then what you've been describing. Um, over the last 20 minutes or so is a reprioritizing of what's really at stake based on your own observations of reality. What's really at stake here um, is, is people's souls. That is the... Uh, that's the part where we talk about revival all the time. But the proper observation of reality is that the system is broken, mm-hmm. and the system is broken because mm-hmm. of the leadership, and there is nobody waiting in the wings who shares what we think and believe, or at least nobody with enough courage of conviction waiting with a realistic opportunity to take those positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. So this, it's not to say to to give up on change, but I would say my takeaway is reprioritizing what comes first. Is it in the public arena of public policy or is it changing hearts and minds? I'd say (coughs) those things can happen simultaneously, but the most important one is the latter. 
Well, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. If you get a moment this weekend or today or whenever you're listening to this to click like there on iTunes and Stitcher, or I mean subscribe, I should say. And if you could write us a positive review, the more of you to do that, help us to get the word out to more people to check out our podcast as well. So that's how you can help us help you. Thank you to all of you that have already done so too. Have a great weekend until Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like you.